Welcome back to The Wrestling Room and welcome back to part three of a topic, the baptism of the Holy Spirit that I've never taught before. I've never dared tackle something that is somewhat controversial, but I'm sticking to just the facts of scripture as I see them. And three weeks ago, I taught on the topic, you need power, a basic overview of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Last week was distinguishing, distinguishing characteristics. Does hell know your name? Distinguishing characteristics of somebody who has been baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit. What does that look like? And what does it look like if you have not been baptized with the power of the Holy Spirit and attempt to, to serve Jesus, to accomplish the mission of Jesus without his power? What does that look like? Not a good scenario. And so this week, I want to talk about six steps that will prepare yourself for the baptism of the Holy Spirit if that has not yet been your experience. Simple steps to prepare yourself for the Holy Spirit to baptize you, to clothe you with power from on high. This is for those who have been asking these weeks, how does this happen? So this message is for you. Let me pray, and then I want to launch in with a story. Lord, give us wisdom. Give us your grace as we tackle this topic, and we dissect and parse through your word. Open my mind and heart to be able to teach what only what you want me to teach, and open the hearts of those listening to receive, and Lord, may it transform and change and elevate their lives for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. I was on a train in India. I spent four months in India some years ago, and I boarded the train at the very southern tip of India, Trivandrum, and was getting ready for a three-day trip up to New Delhi on that train. And during that process, I got into a conversation with a Hindu man around spiritual things. And we were sharing, each of us, our own thoughts about Jesus and about his Hindu beliefs, my beliefs. And uh, it was generally a good conversation. A large group formed and were listening to us. But finally, the conversation came to an end and the, the group dispersed. And I was going back to my bunk, uh, back to my cabin, and a Muslim man approached me. He was quiet. He was gentle. But what he said to me, I will never forget as long as I live. In a humble and gentle voice and a, with a humble and gentle spirit, he said to me, when you speak of such things, you must speak with authority. As if to say, you must display a power greater than your own if you want to preach and teach a message like that. And I've never forgotten that statement. It shook me to my core. Now, I'm happy to tell you that that power came during my time in India. God worked in miraculous, crazy ways. Brothers and sisters, the mission of the church is impossible for us to do in our own power. It's impossible. Here's what we're called to do. As we preach this message of the gospel, we are engaging people who are spiritually sick. And we are being becoming healers. We are engaging people who are blind spiritually. The Bible says the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers. 
We're dealing with people who are blind. We're dealing with people who are dead. We are engaged in a ministry of resurrection. The Bible says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And many of the people that you are at work with, who are your neighbors, your family members, those who God has called you to engage with, they are dead. And the ministry you're called to is resurrection from the dead. We're called to transform hearts of stone into hearts of flesh, Ezekiel says. We're called to persuade people who love their sin to let go of it and to embrace a life of self-denial and self-sacrifice for a man who lived 2,000 years ago, as far as they know. This is impossible. It's impossible. And we're to do it while at the same time being buffeted by the devil and his demons, dealing with our own sinful flesh, and trying to resist the deceitful lure of the world's fool's gold. The world's fool's gold. It's like being blasted by a fire hose from hell. So it's no wonder that Jesus said, you sit down, you don't leave the city until you're clothed with power from on high. Now, just as there was preparation that had to be made in our hearts for the Holy Spirit to come into us, there is also preparation for the Holy Spirit to come onto us, to come upon us, to baptize us. There's preparation needed. God does not simply dispense, hand out, pour out, distribute his priceless presence and his precious power to just any Tom, Dick, and Harry. Anybody just sticks their hand out. Jesus sends his Holy Spirit specifically, carefully, and discriminately. Let me say that again. Let me just clarify this. Jesus discriminates when it comes to whom he gives his precious Holy Spirit and his power. The baptism with power is available for everyone, but not given to everyone. There are conditions, there are requirements, there are steps of preparation before he will give you this precious gift. Now, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not a magic formula for receiving the baptism. There's no formula to it. It's not magic. As I studied the scriptures, uh, particularly in the book of Acts, the baptism of the Holy Spirit came at the time of salvation. It came shortly after that, the time of salvation. It came long after people had given their hearts to Jesus. It came with the laying on of hands. It came with no laying on of hands. It came with praying for people. It came without praying for people. For me, it came long after I was born again, long after I'd given my heart to Jesus, I was by myself. Nobody laid hands on me. Nobody prayed for me. I was on a walk as I shared, I believe it was two weeks ago or last week. And the Spirit of God came in response to a heart cry for his presence and his power for ministry that I was about to engage in. So there's no magic formula. But in all cases, there is preparation needed before the Holy Spirit and his power comes. And so I want to give you six steps of preparation for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. They involve your mind, they involve your heart, and they involve your will. So let's start with two that involve your mind. Step number one is expectancy. 
expectancy. You must have confidence that the Father's desire is to give you the Holy Spirit. There's an anticipation that you need. Go with me to, to Luke chapter 11. And Jesus is, has been asked by the disciples to teach them how to pray. And so prior to this, we have him giving what we call the, the, uh, the Lord's Prayer. But at the end of his teaching, here's what he says in, in chapter 11 of Luke, verses 11 through 13. He says this, Now suppose one of you fathers is asked by his son for a fish. He will not give him a snake instead of a fish, will he? Or if he is asked for an egg, he will not give him a scorpion, will he? And the answers are, are, are obviously no, of course he won't. 13. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? How much more will the Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Couple thoughts here. First of all, the Holy Spirit has been compared to a fish and an egg. Earlier in the passage, they were talking about bread. All of these are on your basic shopping list every time you go to Costco. These are daily needs. These are daily staples. This isn't hoity-toity French cuisine. This is your daily bread. Here's the powerful fact about the Holy Spirit. He's not an elite add-on to your Christian life. He is the power of the Spirit, being clothed with the power of the Spirit, is our daily bread. It's our daily nourishment. And what Jesus is saying is you can expect it's the Father's heart as a good provider, as a good Father, to give us our daily bread, to give us our daily needs. So brothers and sisters, before we even speak of any of the other steps, I want you to understand you can expect if these other conditions are met, these other steps are taken. You can absolutely expect the Father to send the gift of the Holy Spirit to you as your daily bread, as your meat, as your fish, as your eggs, as your bread, what you need for daily sustenance. So step number one is expectancy. Be confident that the Father's desire is to give you the Holy Spirit, to baptize you with power. But number two, Step number two is accuracy. You must have a correct view of Jesus. And we've spoken a lot of this, and I would refer you to my message, Will the Real Jesus Please Stand Up? for, for much broader uh, teaching on this. But in Acts chapter 1, verse 3, Jesus, it says that Jesus presented himself alive by many convincing proofs. He had to make sure they knew who he was. Kevin DeYoung, a pastor and author, made this statement, and I think it's very, very true. He said this, just about everyone in America likes Jesus, but few like him for who he truly is. We're living in a world that truth doesn't matter. Truth just doesn't matter to many people. In other words, Jesus can be whoever I want him to be. The mindset of this generation is there's all, the only absolute is what you absolutely believe is true for you. <laughs> and so that can change on a daily basis based on how you feel, who you had a conversation with last night, what, uh, what text comes across 
your your phone today uh, I can change it's a moving target so as a result Jesus is anything and anyone people want him to be he has the Christ spirit he's an enlightened soul he's one connected with his higher power he's a spiritual guide a moral example and on and on and on it goes listen if we don't know and trust the biblical Jesus. We're never going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit of Jesus. It will never happen. Jesus spent 40 days making sure that the disciples were clear who he was. Hebrews 1 verse 3 says this, He is the radiance of the Father's glory and the exact representation of his nature, and he upholds all things by the power of his word. That is Jesus. The exact representation of the nature of the Father. He said to Thomas when Thomas asked him, or Philip asked him, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. And Jesus says, I've been with you so long and you still don't know who the Father is? Jesus said to him, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Jesus is the exact representation of God the Father. Their natures are identical. But Jesus would go on in John 14, 6. He says, I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. Jesus claimed total exclusive access to the Father came through him. Nobody else, no other God, no other religion, no other path. Jesus was exclusively the way, the truth, and the life. And friends, listen, if you can give a heartfelt amen to what I've just shared, then your mind is largely prepared for the baptism of the Holy Spirit because you have a correct and an accurate view of who Jesus is. And if you do, the Spirit of God will be poured out on you. At least you're one step closer to being prepared for that. Step number three, and this is a preparation of the heart. Preparation of the heart. Step number three is purity. So we have expectancy. We have accuracy about the person of Jesus. And we have purity. That involves confession of my sin. Confession of sin. Acts 2.38 says this. Peter is speaking to this massive crowd that has gathered on the day of Pentecost. We're going to study this in detail coming up. But he says this, repent. He's looking at thousands of people. And he says, repent for the forgiveness of your sins and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The gift of the Holy Spirit was contingent on repentance, turning away from sin, turning away from sin. Scottish pastor James Stewart back in 1913 made this powerful statement. He says, many want the Spirit's power, but not the Spirit's purity. The Holy Spirit does not rent out his attributes. His power is never separated from his pure, glorious self. In other words, no purity, no power. I have a little note that I have attached to my wall. I can look down and see it right here. Prayer plus purity equals power and passion. And I read that virtually every day to remind myself that when I compromise and I allow sin 
to remain unconfessed in my heart, power and passion goes away. Brothers and sisters, if you want the baptism of the Holy Spirit, sin must be confessed. Repent, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Keith Price, uh, another pastor from the UK, he spoke at one of our chapels in Bible college, and I don't remember a thing he said except for this nugget. He says this. He said, pray like you breathe. Breathe out the CO2, the, the carbon dioxide of sin, and breathe in the oxygen of the Holy Spirit. Breathe out your sin. Breathe in the Holy Spirit. Breathe out your sin. Breathe in your Holy Spirit. Friends, repentance isn't one, a one-time event that you do when you accept Jesus. <laughs> Repentance is like breathing. You don't keep piles of sin. You keep short accounts when, you, when you're impatient, when you're angry, when you blow it with your words, when you blow it with your mind and your eyes, whatever the case might be, your gossip, uh, quick repentance, quick repentance. Keep that, those accounts short. Breathe out your sin. Breathe in the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, fill me again. Fill me again. Lord Jesus, I repent of my sin. I confess my sin to you. Spirit of God, fill me with your fill me with your power. Fill me with your presence. I love Keith Green's song. He says this, rushing wind blow through this temple, blowing out the dust within. That can be a prayer. Oh Holy Spirit, blow through me. Blow out the dust inside of me. Clean me out. A song that I often sing as I prayer walk is Create in me a, a new heart, a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit in me. I need to pray that. I need to breathe out my sin, breathe in the Holy Spirit many, many times per day. Because I blow it many, many times per day. And brothers and sisters, if you want your heart to be prepared for the baptism of the Holy Spirit, Purity is necessary. Confession of your sins. Number four. This is a preparation. Now the next two are preparations of your will. Of your will. We've talked about preparation of the, of the mind, of the heart. Now these are preparation of your will. And the step number four is obedience. Commitment to Jesus as Lord. Commitment to Jesus as Lord. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And when he spoke those words, he spoke them like a five-star general making a powerful declaration. And in Acts chapter 1 verses 2 and 4, it says Jesus gave orders to the disciples and he commanded the disciples to remain in Jerusalem. Jesus was not a consultant to the disciples. He's not a church consultant. He's not a Christian life coach. Jesus is a commander. He is a king. So often we treat Jesus as a get out of hell and get into heaven free card where we pray just simply, Jesus, come into my heart, be my savior, forgive my sins, and give me eternal life. And that's so often what People are told and taught to, to pray, but we omit or miss the most important part. Brothers and sisters, in the scripture, in the New Testament particularly, the word Savior 
is used 24 times, speaking of the substitutionary nature of Jesus, taking our sins, paying for our sins on the cross. He's talked about as Savior 24 times, but he's talked about as Lord and referred to as Lord 480 times. 24 times as Savior, 480 times as Lord. Pastor Tony Evans makes this statement, and I think it's so right on the money. He says, everyone wants God, but they want him on sale. As long as they can get God cheap, they'll shop there. But the moment he comes at full price, they'll shop somewhere else. People don't want the God of the Bible who they cannot control. They want a God they can control, better known as idolatry. Idolatry. So many people in our world do not want Jesus as Savior and Lord. They want Jesus on sale. They want a bargain. They just want Jesus as Savior. Just give me my get out of jail free card. Get out of hell free card. Give, give me my get into heaven free card. And I'm a happy camper. But Jesus, in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, Paul says that if you are going to be truly saved, you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, not Savior, that he's Lord. That word Lord is kurios. It comes from the Greek word kuros, which means supreme or first in command, the highest place. It means the one to whom a person belongs. It refers to an owner. It was a title of respect and honor, which a servant greeted his or her master with. And it was used to address the Roman Empire, the Roman Emperor, Lord, Kurios. If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, confess means to agree with this, first of all. I have to agree with, I have to know and believe he is Lord. He is supreme. He is in the highest place. And then confess means to declare it openly. There are no closet Christians, brothers and sisters. Closet Christianity is not the Christianity of the scriptures. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my master. Jesus is supreme in command of my life. And I'm going to declare it from the rooftop. Scripture says, let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has delivered out of the pit. <laughs> Speak it out. Confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. So often... Jesus is portrayed as a friend or a buddy. And I will tell you that Jesus does become a friend at the very deepest level in a way that is almost unbelievable. But Jesus said this, he says, you are my friends if you do what I command you. If you do what I command you. Friends, if you're not obeying Jesus, he's not your friend. You're trying to get in on the bargain, Jesus. You're trying to get on the get in on the half price, Jesus. If he's not, if you're not obeying him, he's not your friend. The friendship of Jesus is always a, is always secondary to and a result of Jesus being Lord. Here's what scripture says in John 3:36. It says, he who believes in the Son has eternal life, but he, who, but he who does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. So belief 
and obedience are two sides of the same coin. You could flip it around and say, he who obeys the Son has eternal life, but he who does not, but he who does not believe the Son shall not see life. If you believe, you'll obey. If you're obeying, you've believed. James 4.4 4 says this, whoever wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. And James is talking to believers. If I have an affinity for and a love for the world and the world's systems and the world's way of thoughts and the ways of thinking, the world's entertainment and the, the system of the world, I have made myself an enemy of God. Friends, Jesus must be king of your heart before he can be your friend. Friendship comes after lordship. Peter said in the book of Acts in another powerful message that he delivered, he said, God has given the Holy Spirit to those who obey him. So number four is obedience, commitment to Jesus as Lord. Number five, step number five for preparing yourself for the baptism of the Holy Spirit is dedication. That is consecration to the mission of Jesus. You are dedicated. Consecration means absolute dedication. I remember one of the best days of the year for me in high school was the, the time in August, the day in August where everybody showed up at the high school and we all got our football gear for the new football season. It was so exciting, the beginning of football season. But that gear, you know, as we picked out helmets, we picked out shoulder pads, uh, the little pads that went under the shoulder pads, the, you know, the thigh pads, the knee pads, the, the, the pads for our sides and all of it. It was so exciting. Felt like a warrior getting ready to go out to battle, picking out your armor. But that gear was for those who had turned in their paperwork and had gotten that dreaded physical that involved the horrifying hernia check. You guys remember the hernia check. I hated the hernia check. And you are now dedicated to show up at 8 in the morning and 5 o'clock at night. And for us in Southern Oregon, it was in 110 degree weather. Dedicated, consecrated to winning high school football games. Acts chapter 1 verse 8 says this, Jesus speaking, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Why? You shall be my witnesses. The power is for a purpose. The power is for those who are dedicated to the mission of Jesus. The power is not to help you build your business. The power is not to promote you. The power isn't about you. It's about the mission of Jesus. The mission of Jesus. Now I want to give you three things about the mission of Jesus out of Acts chapter 1. And here we are. Here we go. Verses 6 and 7. Number 1, the mission is a priority. The mission is a priority. It must be our single focus. The disciples came to Jesus, and he's just about ready to ascend back into heaven. And in verse 6 it says, And when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? This was an obsession of theirs. It was like kids in the car headed down to Disneyland, down I-5, uh, are, are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? <laughs> they just 
kept asking him, you know, when's your kingdom coming? When's your kingdom? And Jesus, I don't believe he was mean-spirited, but he said this in verse 7. He says, it is not for you to know the times of the epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. In other words, what he's saying is this. That's not your business. Your business, that's the Father's business. The end is going to be his business. Your business is to get busy being witnesses for me. Don't get distracted. Don't get distracted. Friends, I want to ask you this. Is the mission of Jesus your top, your top priority? Can you honestly say that your time and your money, your energy, your thoughts and your focus is going towards building God's kingdom? Can you honestly say that? Not just mental assent, not just, you know, you give it a, a glance and a thought every now and then and you know about it. Is your life being poured into building the kingdom? Is this short little nugget, this short little window of time that God has given you on this planet, is your focus building God's kingdom? And if it's not, why is it not? And if it's not, what is your priority? Typically, you can look at your wallet, <laughs> And your day planner, and you can figure out what your priorities are. I love this African-American church slogan. They got it right. Here's, here's what they said. Wake up, sing up, preach up, pray up, and pay up, but never give up, let up, back up, shut up, until the cause of Christ in this world is built up. <laughs> that is focus. That is putting Jesus' mission at the top of the list. So guys, the power of the Holy Spirit is for those whose priority number one is building God's kingdom, not building their own kingdom. Building Jesus' reputation, not their own reputation. Declaring Jesus' fame and revealing his glory, not declaring my own fame and desiring my own glory. But the second thing about the mission is that it is costly. Jesus says, you will be witnesses for me, witnesses about me. The word witness in the, in the Greek language is the word martus. It's where we get our word martyr. Where we get our word martyr. And it means one who sees and observes something, who is a spectator, and then takes the stand to testify on behalf of, of what he's seen even at the risk of death. And Jesus had already prepared them. He said, unless you deny yourself, you take up your own cross. That's a foreshadow. Jesus was saying, if you want to follow me, you've got to be willing to die. He says, if you're not willing to do that, you're not worthy of me. Brothers and sisters, here's the stark reality in North America, in Canada, in the province of Alberta, we have pastors being arrested and thrown into jail because they're holding what is called illegal in-person meetings. In other words, they're opening their churches back up because the suicide rates are soaring, the homelessness is, homelessness is soaring, the drug abuse and drug addiction is soaring, people are struggling and dying, not of COVID, but of many other things, and they're opening their churches in obedience to Jesus, and they're being thrown in jail. James Coates, just outside of Alberta, 35 days in jail. When he got out of jail, he had about two more weeks to teach and preach in his church, and they shut it down and put three fences around his church. 
James Coates in Alberta, Canada, the province I was born in. <laughs> I was born 90 minutes south of where this is happening. James Coates now pastors the first underground church in the history of North America. The first church that literally has no address, no phone number, nobody has, nobody knows where it is except the people going. It's in an undisclosed location. Just this past week in Calgary, Alberta, two brothers, two pastors, two Polish pastors, godly men, firebrands for God, who left Poland years ago to get away from religious oppression, they were arrested. Arthur, who's the lead pastor, was forced down on his knees in the middle of the road in a public area, humiliated, and then handcuffed and taken to jail. Again, what is his crime? Organizing, organizing an illegal in-person meeting. Friends, listen. The mission is costly. And it will very may and it very way very well may cost you your life. You've got to you've got to factor that in. You've got to understand that. At least it may cost you your reputation. It may cost you your business, possibly your freedom, if you decide to stand up for Jesus. Are you ready for that? Are you ready for that? Someone once said, if you're not, if you have nothing to die for, you really have nothing to live for. If you have nothing to die for, you really have nothing to live for. Friends, it, it, to me, it is appalling the amount of fear that followers of Jesus have displayed over this past year and some. You'd never have known that they had any hope of eternal life at all. You would think that they were just as hopeless as those who truly do have no hope. And this grossly, in my opinion, this grossly dishonors Jesus and the work that he did on the cross for us. It is a mockery to our king. It is as if this world and this life is all we have and we're guarding it with everything we have. Listen to what the Apostle Paul said in very, very stark contrast. This is as he contemplates his future. He is in the game. He's on the field. He's pouring it all out for the Lord Jesus Christ, and he says this. He's talking to a bunch of, of leaders who are never going to see him again. He says, and now I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me. If you're a believer in Jesus and you're committed to the mission, you have to be willing to live with questions, unanswered questions. He says, I don't know what's going to happen to me, except that he had premonitions. The Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me in every city as he's moving closer and closer to Jerusalem, through every town, every city, the Spirit of God is speaking to him, saying that bonds and afflictions await me. The Holy Spirit was giving Paul premonitions and foreshadows of what his future held, and it was jail time. It was jail time, but here's what, Peter, here's what Paul says. Here's his response. He says, but I do not consider my life as dear to me, in order that I may finish my course and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify, that is to witness solemnly of the gospel of the grace of God. In other words, I am fully bought in, totally committed to this mission, even if it means jail, even if it means my life. I don't even consider my life dear to me. What is dear is that I get the mission accomplished. I finish my course 
I fulfill the mission that God has put me on this planet for. That is what his value system was. That was what was dear to him, not his own life. Stark contrast to so many believers in this last year and some odd time. The cry of a believer who is committed to this costly mission is, take my life, take all I have, I give it all to you. And if that is your sincere and heart, a heart, sincere and heartfelt cry to God, your will is prepared for power from on high. Let's continue. Chapter 1, verse 9, it says, And after he had said these things, he was lifted up while they were looking on, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And as they were gazing intently into the sky while he was departing, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them, and they said to them, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in just the same way as you've watched him go into heaven. And so it's as if to say, these angels are communicating to all the believers who are just standing and gazing up into heaven. It's as if they're saying, people, the mission is urgent. There's no time to waste. Right from the get-go, we've got to get this clear. You're called to be participants on the battlefield, not spectators waiting for Jesus to come back. Time to get to work. Jesus is coming back. But there are many people who don't know that and they're not ready. Time to get to work. So this mission is urgent, brothers and sisters. It's urgent. If your will is determined to get to work and your heart is crying out, put me in, coach. I'm ready to play. I'm ready to go to battle. Then you are well prepared, well on your way be, to being prepared for the power from on high to come on you for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the final step is this. Number six is hunger and thirst. Crying out to God. Crying out to God. In, Luke, in, in Acts chapter 1, verses 12 through 14, it says, Then after the angels had talked to them, they returned to Jerusalem from the Mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. In verse 14, these all, with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. These believers were hungry, hungry, hungry for God. They were thirsty for the water of the Holy Spirit that Jesus had promised them. They were thirsty. They were hungry. And there are many believers today who are not thirsty. They're not hungry. Wilbur Reese wrote a poem called Mediocrity. I want to read it to you. It says this, I would like to buy three dollars worth of God, please. Not enough to explode my soul or disturb my sleep, but just enough to equal a cup of warm milk or a snooze in the sunshine. I don't want enough of him to make me love a black man or pick beets with a migrant. I want ecstasy, not transformation. I want warmth of the womb, not a new birth. I want a pound of the eternal in a paper sack. I would like to buy 
$3 worth of God, please. In John chapter 7, it says, Jesus stood up, people everywhere, on one of the last days of the feast. And he declared in front of everybody, If any man is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me from his innermost being shall flow rivers of living water. Then it says, He was speaking of the Spirit whom those who believed in him were going to receive. He says, if anyone is thirsty, the scripture talks about those who are hungry in the book of Isaiah, come to me. Preparation number six. This is another preparation of the heart, of, of the desires, is hunger and thirst for God. Luke 11, 9 and 10 says this, Jesus is speaking, I say to you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. And those Greek verbs are in the tense that means ask and keep on asking. Seek and continue to seek. Knock and keep knocking till your knuckles are bloody. <laughs> and it will be opened for you. For everyone who asks, receives. He who seeks, finds. And to him who knocks, it shall be opened. How much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who asks him? If you want just $3 worth of God, you won't get the power from on high. You'll never be clothed with Holy Spirit power and you will not fulfill the mission that God has given you. You will waste your life and you'll dishonor Jesus. But if you can say, I want all of God that I can get. I want to know Jesus more than anything else. I'm weak and pathetic without the power of the Holy Spirit. I'm hungry and I'm thirsty for God. If you're crying those words, then your heart, your mind, your will are ready prepared for the baptism of the Holy Spirit. So number one, expectancy. You can be confident that the Father's desire is to give you the Holy Spirit. Preparation number two is accuracy. Correct view of who Jesus is, what he's done, who he is, the fact that he's coming back again as king of the world. Number three, purity. My sins are confessed. I pray as I breathe. I breathe out sin. I breathe in the presence and power of the Holy Spirit. Number four is obedience. I'm committed to Jesus, not just as Savior, but Jesus as my Lord, my King, my Master. He is sovereign. He is in the highest place. Number five is dedication. I'm consecrated. I'm totally committed to the mission of Jesus. And number six, I have a hunger and a thirst in my soul that cries out for Jesus, that cries out for the, the presence and the power of God. I'm crying out to Jesus. I'm asking, I'm seeking, I'm knocking. Friends, if those are true of you, you can fully expect to receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, for those who can say, this is true of me, I pray that you will baptize them, baptize them, clothe them with power from on high. 
equip them, prepare them for ministry like they've never been prepared before. I pray it in the powerful name of Jesus, thanking you in advance. In your name, Jesus, amen, amen. God bless you this week. I pray for the power and the presence of the Spirit of God to be real to you this week. In the name of Jesus, have a great week. Bye-bye. Thank you.